Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Woes for the LSU men's basketball team continues to roll right along as they drop yet another game in conference play as the offense was flat yet again in a loss to nationally ranked Auburn. Can Matt McMahon turn things around for the Tigers? It's a brutal part of their schedule, a gauntlet of ranked teams that they have to face, but... Can they survive it? Can they get to the point where they can still have a winning record? Because right now they're trending towards that great start of 12-1. and one. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they may be looking the other way. They're trending towards being a team with a losing overall record sooner than later. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts Third. I'm joined inside the studio by Miss Hannah Five Names. She's the producer extraordinaire. This is what we got on tap for you today. LSU men's basketball discussion. We're going to talk McNeese and Raging Cajuns men's basketball as well. We're going to dive into the New Orleans Pelicans and their struggles because they're on the struggle bus without B.I. and Zion. And we have no clue when either one is going to return. We're going to talk NFL divisional playoff matchups. And of course, we'll be taking your phone calls. Game hotline always open, always there for you to call to chop it up with us. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to lead off today talking about the LSU Tigers. Things are not going well for Matt McMahon's team. And they had a little bit of insult to injury last night, and we'll dive into that as well. They're just not very good. I mean, we could sugarcoat it, And try to sit here and say, well, they're this. Or, well, you know, this. Or, it's going to happen. Or, well, maybe they're just not very good. Maybe that's what's the issue. As much as we'd like them to be better, there's not. They have a limited roster. This is what they're doing offensively. in their last four games. 
34.7% from the field. 32.2% from the field. 29.5% from the field. And then they shot 29.3% last night. Uh, None of that's good. None of that is good at all. The team can't shoot. When you're playing against elite competition like they are, because they're playing against nationally ranked programs, Alabama, Auburn, they got Tennessee coming up on Saturday. If you struggle with shooting the basketball, it's going to be an ill. Plain and simple. That's been the story as old as time for the game that Mr. Naismith created all those years ago. If you can't shoot, you can't win. It's pretty simple. We can dive into all the saber metrics you'd like about the art of basketball. But it fundamentally comes down to one thing. If you can't shoot, you can't win. Real simple. We can talk about rebounding. We can talk about points in the paint. We can talk about, you know, step back, jump shots from 10 feet away, the basket, driving the baseline, defensive schemes, pressing, not pressing, playing zone, half-court defense, half-court offense. We can go into all those things if you like. We could spend an entire three-hour show on it. But it boils down to this. If you can't shoot, you can't win. Real simple. The LSU men's basketball team cannot shoot. They struggle to shoot the basketball. And that's why they continue to lose games like this now five in a row. That 11-1 and start in non-conference play against the likes of Wofford, well, didn't necessarily prepare them for the conference slate. And they're not talented enough. Unlike the women's team coached by Kim Mulkey, they could have played a soft schedule because when they got to conference play, guess what? They have absolute dogs on their roster. They have players that take over games. They have players that can shoot. That's why the LSU women's basketball team, which will be in action tonight, and you can hear it live right here on the game, That's why they're undefeated and ranked in the top three in the country. Matt McMahon's squad, no, no. There's none of that. They got outscored 32-21 to in the first half of last night's game. At the PMAC. Didn't matter. Auburn rolled in, led by Bruce Pearl. And his questionable decision-making. And they just put it on LSU. 67 to 49 defeat for the Bayou Bengals. They now fall to 12 and 6 overall. They're 1 and 5 in conference play. Auburn, meanwhile, is 15 and 3 overall, 5 and 1 in conference play. This is a team trending in the wrong direction. And the problem for LSU. Number one, they can't shoot the basketball. 
There you go. It's pretty simple. They can't shoot the basketball. And their schedule is now against some of the best teams, not only in the conference, but in the country. And no one's going to feel sorry for LSU. No one's going to, you know, dole out pityness on them. It's not going to happen, man. This could get ugly in a hurry for the LSU men's basketball team. Last night, they really only got contributions from two people. That's it. K.J. Williams gave him 16 points. He played 35 minutes. Eight rebounds. Two steals, two blocks. Played a good game. Everyone else, nowhere to be found. Found two points. Hayes, two points. Miller, five points. Guy jacks up shots all day long. We talked about it with Ron Higgins yesterday on the show. But my man doesn't make his shots. Shooters are going to shoot. I love it. You got the aggressive mentality. Love it. You got to make them. Your team's got to be able to count on you to go out there and make more than two out of 11 shots you take. He was one of eight from three-point range. Woof. Give me a big old woof. Hannibal does give them 16 off the bench. So that's something. That's something you can hang your hat on. But that's it. That's it. This team doesn't shoot the ball well enough. 29.3% last night from the field. 20% from three-point range. They were four of 20. It's not good. And now we find out as well that LSU guard Justice Hill has stepped away from the team for personal reasons. An LSU spokesperson confirmed to the Daily Advertiser's Cokie Riley. So, not only are they riding a five-game losing streak, they've had one player lost for the season due to a shoulder injury, and now they have another one stepping away for personal reasons. So, Wilkinson's out for the year. With the shoulder, Justice Hill is now out for personal reasons. Five-game losing streak. And they have a team that can't even shoot 30% from the field. And you look at their schedule and you go, hey, yeah, one guy's left for personal reasons. The other guy's out injured. This team can't shoot. But is it going to get better, RP3? Tell us, LSU's now 12-6 and six overall, 1-5 and five in conference play. When are they going to turn it around? I'm sure it'll be sooner than later. Do we have any more UT Arlingtons or NC Centrals or Winthrops or East Tennessee State on the schedule? Hate to be the bearer of bad news. You do not. Number nine, Tennessee, is Saturday. Number 25, Arkansas is next week. Texas Tech, which is a fringe top 25 team, 
That's part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That'll be a week from Saturday. Then it's at Missouri, who was ranked in the top 25 a week ago. Then, oh yeah, number four Alabama comes to town. Oh. LSU is 1-5 in in conference play. That's tied for the worst record in the league. Along with Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. Things could get out of hand in a hurry. This five-game skid could be six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You could very well see them before they go into the Mississippi State game be riding a ten-game losing streak. Once again, schedule gets a little bit more favorable once you get to Valentine's Day. Georgia, South Carolina, Vandy, Ole Miss, Missouri, Florida – But Florida is playing better. Georgia is playing better. Texas A&M is undefeated in conference play, by the way. They may even be a top 25 ranked team by the time LSU plays them. So this schedule that looked favorable on the back end may not be as favorable as we imagined it. Started off 12-1 and 1-0 in conference play. This team now is 12-6. One in five overall. Is this team even going to get to 18 wins? I don't know. I really don't know. We got to take a timeout. We'll talk more about this LSU men's basketball game uh, setback. Another one against the Auburn Tigers. As we hear from the coaches, that's coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Great credit to Auburn. Thought their defense was terrific, uh, very physical. Uh, obviously, saw their ability to protect the rim and make it difficult on us to finish plays there in the painted area. You know, they certainly uh, dominated that that part of the game in the paint. Uh, I thought for us, the start of the second half, come in down 11. Uh, we come out. I believe it started nine to two. Uh, I thought we were able to get out and transition some, feed off our defense. Did a better job moving without the basketball and converting some of those plays, which enabled us to mix some defensive coverages and give ourselves a better chance there. Uh, but then uh, we forced a three, I believe it was 34-30, late in the clock. We had it covered on the box outs. We don't get that rebound. Uh, we, we turn it over on, on our end. that leads to a basket in transition. Now it's six. Uh, we do a poor job executing against the press on a possession. They hit a three, it's nine. And another turnover, now it's back to 11. And so all that, that work to start the half was, was down the drain there. And, and with our uh, lack of ability to score, uh, going back down by double figures was just too much for us to overcome. But great credit to Auburn uh, for their physicality and execution, uh, both ends of the floor. 
Matt McMahon talking about LSU's loss last night inside the PMAC to the Auburn Tigers. They fall to 12-6 and six overall now, 1-5 in the SEC, tied for 11th in the conference. The team doesn't shoot, and sometimes you notice that they're not the most physical team. It's not that they're soft. It's just they're going up against teams that have players that are bigger and stronger. It's not lack of effort when you watch them play. They're just going up against bigger guys. Like you can only do so much if you're a little bit of a slimmer build. You got you know you give up a couple of inches to the competition. There's only so much you can do, and usually what you can do is if you're smaller, you don't have the wingspan, you don't have the height and the weight that other teams do. You use your ability to go out onto the perimeter and shoot. But this team can't do that either. Can't shoot. Not great. Not great. Last night, they also struggled with crashing the boards. Auburn was the more physical team, the more dominant team when it came to rebounding the basketball. And Matt McMahon addressed the lack of rebounding for his Tigers. I wouldn't say necessarily lack of effort. I think... uh... You know, combination of a lot of things. We, we've been hit in different ways. Uh, for example, the Texas A&M game, we got hurt on the defensive glass, just on physical box outs right around the rim. Uh, the other day against the team in Alabama that spaces the floor, you know, four guys out beyond the NBA three-point line, uh, one ball screen and roll center. Uh, we got beat on some long rebounds that we overran uh, and didn't have our proper technique on those box outs. Uh, so, you know, and then at the end of the day, you know, you got to go get the ball. And that's, that's the reality you hear anyone ever talk about, you know, whether it's uh, Oscar at Kentucky or Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman. You, know, you got to be able to go get the basketball. Overall, They didn't lose the rebound battle by that much. It was 41-38 advantage Auburn. But where you really saw the difference in the game was the defensive rebounds, 30-24. And that makes a difference. It just does. So they struggle to win the rebounding battle, and they struggle with shooting. And last night, they actually had... A pretty good crowd on hand. Student section came out. Once again, all students are returning to classes now at LSU and across other campuses for the spring semester. So they had a decent crowd on hand for a Wednesday night ball game, and that gave them some juice. And Matt McMahon even admitted to it. It was great having that energy. They just couldn't take advantage. Well, I think we had, uh, as you mentioned, the, the momentum started to swing. Uh, the energy in the building was great. thought our players really fed off that. Uh, we were able to score it more efficiently there to start that little four-minute segment. Uh, I talked about the, the missed rebound we had that would have given us possession with a chance to uh, make it a one-possession game at that point. Uh, but now I believe that was where we had, uh, Coach Pearl called timeout, and then we had the media immediately after. So I, I think just to rehash it again, 
we try to score in the post. Broom gets a nice steal and then is able to beat our entire team down the floor uh, and gets a transition basket there on the run to make it six. Uh, then it goes to the media timeout. I thought our cuts to get open there against the, uh, the soft full court man pressure uh, were obviously not good enough. We turn it over there. They hit a three in the corner. Now it's back to nine. And uh, you know, then we got back to some of our offensive struggles uh, to put the ball in the basket from there. And once again, this is a recurring theme. Their field goal percentage is going down game after game during this losing skid. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. And now they got one of their better players out for the year with a shoulder injury. They have another one of their players that's stepping away for personal reasons. Five-game losing skid. And a gauntlet of a schedule. Don't be surprised. Right now they're tied for the bottom with a bunch of other teams. Arkansas gets healthy. They're going to get out of that. So it's really, if you're looking at it, LSU Ole Miss to figure out who possibly is going to be the worst team in the SEC. Ole Miss looks like it's going to be, you know, Kermit Davis is going to be stepping away. He'll make it through the season, but he won't last the long time head coach there. They're going to make a change there in Oxford. But this is probably what we all should have expected from LSU. A team with a mid-major roster trying to compete in the SEC. You're asking a lot. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on Chad to the show. Chad, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Man, Ray, you stole the thunder out of my mouth, man. I mean, as an LSU fan, what did I expect? Nothing much. You're playing with a mid-major roster. Um, the the the, the, the uh, the, the, all the games beforehand, the schedule, that was just – I mean, you, you you played maybe one or two good teams. What, Wake Forest? Arkansas is an NIT team. Arkansas lost their best two players. Uh, I didn't have high expectations for them, and nobody else should. Uh, as as more film comes out on them, uh, you, you'll be able to game plan for these guys uh, a lot better. But you got to give them two or three years, man. With all the sanctions happening and stuff – uh, for people to say he's not the right fit, to me, that's just a moron comment. Uh, he's playing with mid-major roster. Uh, he's going to have a good recruiting class come next year. But you got to give him two or three years, man. Thank you. Chad, appreciate the phone call. Be safe out there today. I agree. Look, you brought in Matt McMahon because he was going to be a long-term fix. Not a quick turnaround guy. He's going to establish a culture. They're going to recruit. They're going to do things the right way. They're going to clean up the mess left behind by Will Wade. So you're going to take your lumps. But this team's 12-6 and overall. They have 13 games left. 13 games left. Will they finish with a winning record overall? They're not going to finish with a winning record in the SEC. That's not going to happen. They only got 13 games left in the regular season. They're 12 and 6, which means they're six games above 500 with 13 to go. If I do the math, there's 13 games left, right? If you're six above right now, 500 with 13 to go, how many games do you need to win to have a winning record during the regular season? I was asking my 
crackpot team over there, the producer and the producer trainee. But they're not ready for that type of math at 6.30 in the morning. We'll figure it out during the break using our calculators on our iPhones. Sure, I'm glad uh, you spent a lot of money on one degree. He spent a lot of money on two. We'll get that math, though. We'll get that math figured out. We'll use the old iPhone. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, look, it's, it's going to be the struggle bus for LSU the rest of the way. It's going to be a struggle the rest of the way for the Tigers. It, it just is. They have limitations on the roster. Now, one of their guys is injured. Another guy is leaving for personal reasons which is always something that's worrisome because you're like, oh, is he done? Is he having some type of issues? Whatever it may be. And plus, they're filled with a roster that cannot shoot. The dynamic duo has told me that they need to win four games out of their last 13 to have a winning mark in the regular season. Yeah, because they'll be they'll go four and nine, four and so nine. that make them sixteen and fifteen by the end of the season. So they got to win four games left on this schedule: Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas Tech, Missouri, Alabama, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Georgia, South Carolina, Vandy, Ole Miss, Missouri, Florida. Ooh, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be. Oh man, that's gonna be tough. That's going to be – they got to win four games. Oh, man, maybe Mississippi State. Maybe South Carolina, Vandy, Ole Miss seems like it would be a win. But I only see three absolute wins on the schedule. So that means they're going to have to beat a team that's technically better than them to ensure they have a winning mark in the regular season in year one of Matt McMahon's tenure. That may be that, that may be a lot to ask. We gotta take a timeout. When we return, we'll go from struggles on the collegiate court to struggles on the NBA court. Pelicans, they played a game, they lost it. Still no BI, still no Zion. And the Pelicans, is it time to start worrying? We'll get to that and unveil our poll question of the day. That's all coming up next, right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. give uh, Miami a ton of credit. They played an excellent o- overall game. They came in and kicked our butts on our home floor. It, all of that starts with me. I, I have to have our team prepared to play. And that's what I told our guys. We wasn't. We, we, we were not uh, ready to play tonight. And um, I get it. Long road trip, first game home, all of that stuff. But we, we can't use that as an excuse. Pelicans head basketball coach Willie Green there talking to the media, just being quite frank and blunt about it all, that the Miami Heat came into the Smoothie King Center where the Pelicans have played so well this season and were really just took them behind the woodshed and gave them a spanking. 
124 to 98. It wasn't even that close. It, it wasn't. Long road trip, as Willie said, but you thought they would get a boost being back at home, playing in front of the home fans, but there was nothing there. Once again, another game without Brandon Ingram, another game without Zion Williamson, another game without Herb Jones. Three of their five starters still out. Are we going to see Zion and B.I. before the All-Star break? I say no. And how weird is it? This thing with Ingram, doesn't it feel eerily similar to the Zion situation a year ago? The only difference is that B.I. is around the team. Last year, Zion was supposed to be ready for the season, and then we never saw Zion, and we didn't get updates on Zion, and we didn't hear from Zion, and Zion was in the Pacific Northwest doing Zion things. So much so that after they traded for C.J. McCollum, they asked C.J., have you talked to Zion? He goes, no, I tried to reach out. I haven't heard. So the difference is you have one all-star that was away from the team and didn't communicate with the team until the last 20 games of the season. This year, he's around the team, a different all-star, but he's not playing and have no idea when. We get random sporadic updates from time to time. Hey, Brandon Ingram was seen shooting the basketball during warm-ups, but he's not playing. And then we don't see Brandon Ingram shooting at warm-ups again for four days. The Pels are not going to be able to do anything besides leave the playoffs early if they at least don't have one of those guys back. They don't need all of them. It'd be helpful if they had all three of their starters back, Zion, B.I., and Herb Jones. They could be one of the best teams in the Western Conference. And technically right now, even with their most recent woes, they're still in the fourth spot if the playoffs began today in the Western Conference. Sacramento has overtaken them. Memphis has overtaken them. The Grizzlies, by the way, have won 11 straight. Just like to point that out. The Pels are going to continue to kind of fade here. They're three and seven in their last 10. And they're going to continue to fade because even though they may have depth on this roster, they're out three guys. Last year, when they made the run to the play in tournament and won the play in tournament to get into the playoffs, they didn't have Zion the whole year. Exactly. You know who they did have? Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones. They added C.J. McCollum, but they still had B.I. and Herb. And they had all these other guys like Trey Murphy and Alvarado and Valachunas. They had all those guys too. So they were able to come together, but they needed at least to have those. Right now, they don't even have those. So whether it's Zion with the hamstring comes back or B.I. with the toe comes back or Herb Jones with whatever's going on with him, it doesn't really matter. They're going to at least need two of those three guys. Herb has to be one of them, and then a combination of Herb or B.I. or Herb or Zion if this team wants to win a playoff series. Because the way this team is right now, if they go into the postseason without B.I. and no Zion and no Herb Jones – 
they're more than likely going to get swept right out of the postseason. So they got to figure it out because they have a nice team. They have a team with depth, but it only works if you have the two all-stars there as well. It's the only way it works. Najee Marshall is a good player. He gave him 12 points last night, but he is a six-man. You're forcing your six-man to be one of your starters. That's not his game. It's just not. He, he, can, he can step in from a time or two to help you out and show you some flashes, but he's better served as your guy to come off the bench, your six-man. That's where his game is. But you're being forced to use him in the starting lineup. Valachunas is going to get you a double-double every night. That is consistent. You can depend on him. C.J. McCollum has been playing at an all-star level this season. He should get an invite. He should be in the all-star game because he has carried this team. And he's taking his offensive game to another level for the Pelicans. Other guys are out. He still distributes, but you know what? He knows that he has to take over games and score 21 points to lead the Pels last night. Trey Murphy, you're going to have these inconsistencies because he's a three-point shooter. And he's a young three-point shooter. He's only a second-year player. Only got him five points last night. Not a great night. But they're also throwing out the rookie, Dyson Daniels. Dyson Daniels is being forced to be a starter. He ain't ready for that. He's not. And all the other guys they have are complimentary second-wave, third-wave pieces off the bench. Willie, Jackson, they're still giving 20 minutes to Devontae Graham for some reason. I don't know why. Kyra Lewis Jr. cannot get on the court. He must be in Willie's doghouse. He only gets six minutes. They have some other guys, but those are second, third string type of players. They had a good enough start, even with out being able to play, what, less than 10 games with their starting five? Okay. They were able to start off well enough to have themselves in a good position, and there's still time. The season is long, but they got to figure this out, man. They got to figure this out, and they got to figure out how to respond to getting their butt kicked at home in front of the devoted and very enthusiastic fan base these days? For sure. Uh, They definitely have presented some matchup uh, problems for us. And like I said, we'll come back in tomorrow. We'll watch film and we'll see where we can can be better. And we got a game before that. So our focus will shift to Orlando and then we'll have a chance to get back after them on their home floor. Yeah, because they got to play the Heat in a few days. They'll get another crack at Miami, but they'll have to go down to South Beach to do it. Najee Marshall, once again, being thrust into the starting lineup. That's not really his game, but he's trying his best, and they don't really have a choice because no B.I., no Zion, no Herb. And Najee shared with the media exactly the message from Coach was after another disappointing loss. It's not acceptable. We're better than that, and um, every time we step out on that floor, um, we should display a better effort than that. And um, 
All we can do now is bounce back from that and never do something like that again. It's a great message. Can they do it, though? I I don't know. I I really don't. It's hard to get a read on this team because they have nice pieces. They're well-coached. But the NBA is a star-driven league. If you don't have stars, you're not going to win. Plain and simple. And two of their biggest stars, their two biggest stars on this team, are out. It's hard to win if you're down two All-Stars. I don't care if you're the Pelicans or the Celtics or the Lakers or the Bulls. It does not matter. You're down with two All-Stars, you're going to more than likely lose. Pelicans will get back into action this weekend. They have to play the two Florida teams. Up next is at Orlando. That'll be tomorrow night, Friday night, as they'll travel to play Orlando on Friday, and then they'll play Miami on Sunday, both of those games on the road. And we've already talked about how poor this team is on the road. Not promising. And yet, we still don't have an update on Zion's health status. Still don't have an update on Brandon Ingram as well. Because the Pelicans are cagey when it comes to the health of their players. So we have no idea when they're going to return. I anticipate seeing neither one of them before the All-Star break. And I anticipate seeing only maybe one of them at all after the All-Star break. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil our poll question of the day. Get to your early comments. We'll do all that next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Some positive news for Saints fans before we unveil the poll question of the day. NFL has announced the five teams set to play in the 2023 international games. The Buffalo Bills, the Tennessee Titans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, stunning the Jags have to play overseas. Kansas City Chiefs and New England Patriots will each play international games during the 2023 regular season. There you go. Get after it. Saints fans, you don't have to worry about your team playing overseas. Congratulations. There's your positivity for the day. And by the way, am I a fan of international games? No. Football, American football is American football. You want to play a dumb preseason game over there? Get after it. Sell a bunch of tickets, make money that way. Stop taking away home games from NFL teams and have them being played over in Germany and England. Stop it. They have the sport they care about, they love, they obsess about. It's called soccer. Can we stop? Stop it. Just stop it. I hate the international games. I despise them. Poll question of the day. I don't despise those. Are you concerned with the Pelicans' current struggles? Yes, let's make a trade. Yes, need Zion and B.I. back. No, they'll turn it around. 
not worried, long season. Right now, 71% of you say yes, need Zion and B.I. back. 14% say no, they'll turn it around. 10% say not worried, it's a long season. It doesn't conclude until, what, June? 5% say yes, let's make a trade. John Paul Cajun Daddy has chimed in. Eventually, they will get Zion and B.I. back, even if for the next three weeks they'll hover a little under 500. They will still be near the top, and once the two stars come back, they will roll. So, C.J., just hold down the fort. Every team needs a C.J. Of course, C.J. McCollum. J.P.K. the O.D. says, fun fact, John Morant is three and a half years into his NBA career and has played in 224 games. <laughs> Salty Steve says the injury situation is so bad that Louis Prejean is sending half his paycheck to the Vatican for divine intervention. Oh, that is a quality tweet by Salty Steve. And Ton says, we've seen the Pell starting five play together in how many games? We don't need a trade necessarily, but if we can't get healthy this season, maybe make a trade in the offseason. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. It's all about the Pellies. Leave your thoughts, your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. Oh, man. Plenty to get to. Basketball, NFL. We'll take your phone calls as well. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. LSU Tigers dropped their fifth straight game to Auburn last night inside the PMAC, 67-49. Adding insult to injury for Matt McMahon's squad. One of his better players is deciding to leave the team right now for personal reasons. This is less than a week than another one of his better players suffered a shoulder injury and is going to be out for the remainder of the season. But as bad as that is, the fact of the matter is, is that this LSU men's basketball team cannot shoot. And it's very simple when it comes to basketball. If you can't shoot, you can't win. It's very simple. The game's not that hard. The game that Mr. Naismith made all those years ago, not that hard. Shoot, make your shots, win. It's very simple. Playing defense is great. Coming up with creative ways of scoring the basketball, amazing. You can do it in a multitude of ways, right? You can put down the power dunk. You can drive on the baseline, do a little layup action. You know, you can do a step back jump shot. You can shoot it from three. There's a multitude of ways of scoring. The LSU men's basketball team isn't very good at any of them. Their field goal percentage has declined for four straight games. They can't shoot. 
They take plenty of shots. They just don't go in. And you're talking about a roster that isn't as talented as the rest of the teams in its conference. They don't have those big-time recruits. They have guys that have transferred in from group of five schools. He doesn't have an SEC roster. He has a mid-major roster. The problem is you can win a lot of games with a mid-major roster. And here's the other thing. You can also take down teams from Power 5 programs, Power 5 programs rather, especially when you get to the NCAA men's tournament. We see it all the time. Small mid-major takes down one of the mighty bigger schools. It happens every single year in the tournament. The difference is that's the NCAA tournaments. And those usually are a little bit of one-offs, right? You're facing that level of competition every single game. The Tigers began the season 12-1, and including starting off SEC play with an impressive win over a then-ranked Arkansas team. And they've lost five straight since. And the games are getting uglier, not better. After they beat Arkansas, remember, they went on the road to Lexington, went into Adolph Rupp Arena, and hung tough with a Kentucky team that, let's be honest, is mediocre. Or mediocre by Kentucky standards, rather. But they hung tough, right? You're like, hey, yeah, it's a loss, but it's at Kentucky, where LSU has traditionally always struggled. And, but they showed you something. Well, ever since that game, they haven't showed you much of anything. Now, they didn't get routed by 40 points like they did on Saturday against Alabama. That's good. And Auburn is a nationally ranked team. Very true. Bruce Pearl, despite being a you know snake oil salesman, is a very good coach. But this team isn't big enough, isn't strong enough, and more importantly, they don't shoot well enough. They just don't. You can't win in the SEC the way they do things. You just can't. The way they play, the way they are matched up with other teams, they're not that good. They're not good enough. And they got to figure out a way. And the way you do that, the way you take down a team that maybe has more athletic players, bigger, stronger, faster guys, guys that can turn on a dime and attack the basket or box out and get those rebounds over the smaller guys. You know how you win those games? You know how you take down those teams? Because you can shoot lights out. If you're smaller and don't have the athletes that the other team does, you can stabilize things. Your equalizer, mind you, is being able to shoot. That's how you do it. They shot 29.3% from the field last night and only 20% from three-point range. That's it. You're not going to beat anyone that way. You just can't. They don't have enough shooting. They're not good enough as a team, as shooters, to win ball games. 
The night they beat Arkansas, Arkansas committed multiple turnovers. Arkansas had stretches where it was bad with its shot selection. They were sloppy, and LSU took advantage, and LSU shot well in that game. So everything's got to come together perfect for this year's LSU men's basketball team to be able to take down a better opponent. They have to play their best game. They have to shoot lights out, and they have to hope the other team has an off night, that they get into foul trouble, that they get sloppy with the basketball, unforced turnovers. That's what they got to hope for. Because that's the formula. The other team plays sloppy, lacks execution, and you play a great game. That's the only chance they have. Because they're not good enough to beat you any other way. They're just not. They're not that good. Field goal percentage in the last four games for LSU, which have all been losses. 34.7%, 32.2%, 29.5%, and then 293 last night. You shoot below 35%. And 30%, you're going to be catching L's left and right. Right and left. And unfortunately for the Tigers, the schedule isn't going to help them. We broke it down in hour number one. What do they have to do here? Just to have a winning record. We're not talking about getting to 20 wins. That ain't happening. We're not talking about this team being an NCAA tournament team. That's not going to happen in the regular season. They're going to have to make a run in the SEC tournament and maybe do like Georgia did about five or seven years ago where they were around a 500 team, but they won the SEC tournament and got in. This team's going to be lucky to even get into the NIT. But the goal should be, how do we become a winning program? How do we end the regular season with a winning record? 13 games to go. They're 12 and 6 right now with 13 games left on the schedule. And yes, they still have to play Missouri and Alabama, Tennessee on Saturday. They still get another matchup with Arkansas. They still have to play undefeated Texas A&M again. Undefeated in SEC play, to be clear. Schedule's brutal. They got to win four more games to ensure that they end the regular season with a winning record. This is a team that began the season 12-1. and They're 12-6 and now. Got to win four games. And I, we, you can look at the schedule and go, okay, I can see the four games. Ole Miss is the worst team in the conference, by far. It's not even close. But you look at the rest of their schedule and you go, okay, Yeah, there's no Kansas Cities on there. There's no Akron's. There's no Wofford's or NC Central's or East Tennessee State University. So where are the wins going to come from? Number nine ranked Tennessee on Saturday. Then it's at number 25 ranked Arkansas. Texas Tech, Big Ten SEC Challenge. At Missouri, at number four Alabama. Mississippi State looks like that could be in play as a win. Because they're on the struggle bus as well. They're 1-5 and five in conference play. Identical record with LSU. Overall and in conference. Texas A&M's more than likely a loss. They've already beaten LSU once. They're big and physical too. 
Georgia, before the start of the season, you said, hey, that could be a win. But if you look at the latest SEC standings, the team with the fifth best record in the conference is Georgia. Mike White's done a nice job there. That's probably an L. So then you're looking at South Carolina, who is under a first-year coach, just like LSU is. They're 8-10 overall, 1-4 in conference. Okay, that could be a win. So you got to beat Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vandy, who looks like middle of the road. That's probably a coin flip game there against the Commodores. Ole Miss is the worst team, so that's a win. And maybe you get Florida. Yeah. Four to five wins, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But it's going to be work. It's going to be work for these Tigers. It just is. And speaking of work, New Orleans Pelicans, they're working through some, some things themselves. No B.I., no Zion, no Herb Jones, and this team really doesn't have a chance. Last night, they lose yet again, this time at home, 124-98 to to the Miami Heat. That drops them to 26-19 overall. They still remain in fourth in the most current Western Conference standings. But they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They have to play at Orlando tomorrow night, then at Miami on Sunday. Orlando isn't very good. That should give them a great chance. But this team is without three starters, and it has been for most of the season. And they're not going to do anything. They're not going to make any noise in the NBA playoffs if they don't have at least one of those stars and their best defensive player, Herb Jones, back. Because they proved they could do it last year when they won the play-in tournament and got into the playoffs and gave the Suns everything they could handle. They did so with Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones and C.J. McCollum. They didn't even need Zion last year to do that. So you give this team Zion and Herb, they'll be fine. You give them a combination of B.I. and Herb, they'll be fine. But as it stands right now, we still don't know when Brandon Ingram is going to come back. The man's been dealing with that severe toe injury. Sure does feel like he's going to miss the whole year. Sure does feel like it's deja vu all over again with what happened with Zion last year. Except for this time, B.I. is actually around the team and shows up to games and is with his teammates for most of the season, unlike what Zion did last year. But he's out. When's he coming back? When's that going to happen? It's a toe injury. I get it. It's bad. I understand. When's he going to come back? What is his treatment like? Are they just giving him Flintstone vitamins and some, you know, some Robitussin and say, you know, rub some Tussin on it. Let's get after it. I don't know what they're doing. Whatever it is, it ain't working. No B.I., no Zion, no Herb Jones. This team has no chance. Got to get those guys back. Have to get them back. Because here's the other thing. The starting lineup of C.J., 
Valachunas, Herb Jones, B.I. Zion, they're starting five. They've played less than 10 games together. We're about to be at the all-star break. They have to get together. They have to be able to build that chemistry and get those reps and also get into shape, get into game shape. That leads us to our poll question of the day. It's about those Pellies. Oh, the Pelicans. Right now they're playing like the Pelicans and not the Pelicans. Are you concerned with the Pelicans' current struggles? 59% of you say yes, that they need Zion and B.I. back. 19% say not worried, long season. Love that optimism. 15% say no, they'll turn it around. And then 7% say yes, it's time to make a trade. Darren says no, not really. They are what they are. They kind of are what they are. And once again, this is what they are. They're an injury-prone roster. That's the other part we don't talk about enough about the Pels. It's kind of what they are, right? They can never get healthy all at the same time. You can call it that they got a voodoo curse or they're snake-bidden or they just got bad luck. They're like that bad penny you can't get rid of. But this team can never be healthy at the same time. You know how you win championships? Have your best players be healthy at the same time. Martin on Twitter says, not a Pelicans fan. And I think it's safe to say that the Grizzlies are this year's Phoenix Suns. Jaw is absolutely electric and still waiting on my wedding invitation. Hannah, five names, LOL. Martin also says, by the way, me and Paul will be starting our own wedding crashing business pretty soon. All he has to do is hand our Yankees bandwagon forms that will crash any wedding. So Martin and Paul are looking at crashing your wedding five names. So good luck dealing with that with your security detail. Keep those votes coming, though, on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. No need to get sideways or get ugly out there. No need to do it. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we're going to step away from the hardwood. We're going to get to the gridiron. We're going to talk a little NFL divisional playoffs this weekend. That's coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, need help with taking your lady out for Valentine's Day, fellas? The help you need can be found inside the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score yourself excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville, a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, 
and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. Man, see? You can take your lady out, have a great time. She doesn't need to know where you got the gift certificates. She doesn't need to know that you actually won them from the game and you didn't actually spend the real money on her. We just want to help you stay out of the doghouse. But you can only score these great prizes to help you with Valentine's Day by becoming a member of our game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today, fellas. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day about the Pellies. Are you concerned at all about their recent struggles? Let us know. Let us know. Right now, let's talk a little NFL. Or no, let's talk basketball and crashing weddings with Martin, who's waiting for us out on the hotline. Martin, good morning. What's on your mind, bud? Well, speaking of crashing, I gotta play. I gotta address this little situ, this little scoring title situation with uh, this self-called best player uh, in NBA history, the bum. Because I know my buddy Paul's listening this morning. All right. Of course, LeBron or LeBum or whatever you want to call him is going to get the scoring title. The man spends more time he's on the ground crying. Martin. Uh, time out, Martin. Time out. At the free throw line, Martin. Trevor Lawrence at a Waffle House. Martin. Okay. Martin. Yes, Martin. Time out. Yes. Are you bringing an argument with one of your friends to our show? Is that what you're trying to oh, do yeah. right now? I'd even mention LeBron James this morning or Michael Jordan, and you're just inserting an argument with you and your man into the show. Is that what you're trying that's, to do? That's what brings the ratings, man. I mean, <laughs> that's what, no, the, no, Vice Chancellor of Erath, it does not. I yeah, this I, isn't this isn't Skip and Shannon. We're not going to debate. LeBron versus MJ. That is one of the topics that you will not hear me discuss on this show. That is banned from being discussed on this show, brother. I love you. I got nothing but love for you and your family and the whole town of Erath. But we are not having the GOAT discussion between LeBron and MJ on this show. We not Skip and Shannon. That's not how we roll. So you mean to tell me this ain't PTI with uh, Michael <laughs> Wolf on? And, no, uh, no, 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 no. I called the wrong show, but anyway, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to, to to think about anything but the playoff game this Sunday between my Cowboys and and the Forty Niners. You know, uh, you don't you, you, you don't feel kinda, good. You don't feel good about your your boys' chances to go in the oh, Santa I love, Clara. I love the chances because the way I see it, this is the way I see it. Let the media, let the Forty Niners, everybody, let all the spotlight be on the Forty Niners. Okay. I don't want no, you know, no media, nothing on the Cowboys, you know, because the less the better, you know, because the way I see it, bald and beautiful, and all the pressures on the 49ers, they got the, they got the winning streak, they got the spotlight on them, you know, and like I always said, win streaks are made to be broken, okay? You, it, it's just a matter of time before that winning streak is brought to an end, and like I've been saying all week long, this is going to be the best defense that Brock Purdy's played. All season long, what what is he gonna do when 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 like good pressure is put on him? Will he throw interceptions? You know, I mean, but we shall see. I'm trying to keep my spirits high. Paul knows that uh, he's my best friend. 
So <laughs> the baseball season's right around the corner, and the Yankee hate is right around the corner. Oh, there have it a is. Good one, buddy. Mart, have a great day, bud. I love Mart. Mart's part of the game fam, right? We love Mart. He came out to the, the 10th anniversary celebration him and Paul did. Paul brought the, the Yankee stuff. It was great. I love seeing him. I love talking to him. I love, you know, chopping it up with him. But we ain't having that tired argument on this show. No, no. That's one of the few things that I've banned personally, and my staff understands that. We don't talk about that. Okay? We don't. We don't have it. We ain't talking about it. Ain't doing it. That we don't talk about. And we don't talk about, you know, who's the great. The greatest of all time arguments are the stupidest thing in sports. It, it is lazy sports talk. I'm, I'm calling it out. It's lazy sports talk. How about this guy? Let's compare this guy to this guy. This guy was the best. No, this guy was the best. You can't compare errors, first of all, because the games change. The way the game is played has changed. And you can't sit there and say, well, if you put this guy on this team, he wouldn't do this. Or if you put this guy on this team, he would be able to do that. You can't do that. They played for the teams they played for. They played in the errors they played for. Done. Just appreciate greatness. We do not have greatest of all time discussions here on the show. That's a banned topic. I don't ban many things. I'm pretty easy breezy, beautiful cover girl, relaxed about things. Except for that. Goat conversations, uh uh-uh, not having them. They're just silly. Silly, silly, silly. NFL weekend divisional games. We're going to break it down more later on on today's show because we got Tony Wiggins from the Locked on Jaguars podcast. He's going to be joining us. Jacksonville got that great comfort behind win. They're going to try to knock off the Kansas City Chiefs, the perennial favorites, to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. And we'll talk about that matchup later on on today's show coming up here on RP3 and Company. But right now, we got to take a timeout. More of the show coming up right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. Bien. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Just playing together. I mean, if you go back and look, last year we would we went six of eight to close, and then uh, you know went three and zero on a Puerto Rico trip, fourteen and four. Now we, we're used to winning, and I think the more we play together, the more we've gotten accustomed. We've been fortunate; we've avoided injury so far, and. We've been able to start the same lineup every game. And we talked about changing it, you know, waiting wait to see what would happen when Kobe came back. But we're playing, and everyone understands their roles. Uh, Themis has done a good job. You know, he's nationally ranked in assist. You know, Jordan scored the ball inside. Greg's played like an all-conference player that we knew he was. Really proud of him. You know, Joe's come on like we knew he, he could when we recruited him. He does so many things outside of scoring. When he gets you a dozen points, 
and that's just a bonus. But just from playing together. Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin talking about his team and what's been the key for this group. And, and look, this team has really good chemistry. It, it does. And they've done a nice job of figuring out how to fold Kobe Julian back into the rotation, back into this lineup. All the guys that got significant playing time last year have taken a big step. Greg Williams, Dallincourt, all those guys. Even Jordan Brown has improved his overall game. But a, a guy, a kid rather, that has done a very nice job, of course, is Joe Charles. Remember, he dealt with multiple injuries in high school playing for Karen Grow. He helped him win a state championship. And... He does so many things for the Cajuns. He's gotten a little bigger. He's gotten a little stronger. And, man, he plays really good defense for this team. And Bob Marlin talked about what Joe brings to the table. Well, he made three-point shots uh, on this trip, and that's something that he hasn't been shooting the ball great from perimeter, but he's been working on it. That was a big plus. Uh, and just to see him shoot a high percentage, he's very effective. Uh and scores in various ways. Had a running hook shot the other day at the end of the clock. It was a nice play. Of course, still in the dunk. And he got several drop-offs from JB in the double. He's an excellent cutter. And Joe just, again, we knew when he was in high school, we had a great understanding of the game. And uh, he's healthy as he's been in several years. And he's playing like it. He is playing at a really nice level for this team. He's become a bit of an X factor because he does some of the, the dirty work, so to speak, that you need to have a guy do. He doesn't need to score. He doesn't need to dominate and have the ball in his hands. He likes playing defense. Getting 17, 18, 19-year-olds to commit to playing defense in 2023 is an immense accomplishment. And we'll go ahead and give it up to both Joe Charles and to Bob Marlin to be able to have that. Because so many kids now, they just don't care about defense. They, they don't learn it, or they just don't want to do it at all. Now, the Cajuns are on this long road trip, kind of an interesting quirk in their schedule, four-game road trip. And to, tonight, they'll take on Arkansas State. It's always tricky going up to Jonesboro, Arkansas, to take on the Red Wolves. Even when they're down, they still prove to be a thorn in the side of the Cajuns. And Marlon broke down what that matchup is going to look like tonight against Arkansas State. Arkansas State beat Old Dominion in the opener. Uh, they, they've had their ups and downs since then. They've lost a couple of close games recently. And they're a different team. Caleb Fields is an all-conference guard that you'll remember. He's played for three years. He's, he's a good player. Um, Avery Phelps is a shooter that's back and really shoot it. Malcolm Farrington, Marquise Davis are other shooters that are back. Uh, they've got a, a young man from Egypt inside that transferred from Assumption College. He's, he's good around the basket, does a lot of dirty work for him. He's not a three-point shooter, but he's averaging a double-double, and he's really helped their team. Uh, and they've got a point guard from Chicago, Terrence Ford Jr. It's really playing well for him. And he has actually started with fields some. Uh, but their, their backs are against the wall. Uh, he always has his team ready to play against us and the crowd and will we'll be against us as well. It's a tough place to play, and uh, we're due to go play well there. So, Cajuns, Red Wolves will tip off tonight at 7 o'clock, and then they'll wrap up their road trip Saturday at Texas State, and then they'll be back at home next week. You know, it just hit me. 
haven't taken my daughter, baby girl, Hattie, to a Raging Cajuns men's basketball game or a women's game. I usually do one of each every year. Been dropping the ball as dad here. Got to step it up. Got to step it up. Got to step it up. Make sure have a little daddy-daughter night out watching some uh, basketball. She loves to watch the hoops. So whenever the Cajuns come back to town, I may have to make that happen. Sorry, Hannah. You'll have to cover the game instead. UL at Arkansas State. McNeese, who's been struggling of late, they got two games this week against the same team, the Nichols State Colonels. They'll play tonight's game 7 o'clock down in Homa Thibodeau, and then they'll play Saturday's game at the Legacy Center in Lake Chuck. And Coach John Aiken, the second-year man in charge of the Cowboys, talked about having to face off against Nichols two times this week. Yeah, Nichols is good. Um, they had a couple uh, hiccups early in the conference season and made some adjustments going to the Northwestern game last weekend. I actually talked to Clanch on Friday uh, as they were preparing for Northwestern. And, um, he was kind of asking me about how we attacked their zone both times that we had played them and how they played. And so um, he and I are very close. Obviously, we worked together for a couple of years. and. Uh, he told me about some lineup changes that they would make, and uh, he did, and they played really well on Saturday. So um, expect them to be more than ready. I think it's their stuff still for game, and so it's going to be a great atmosphere, uh, great crowd environment. Uh, they've got some guys back from last year. Obviously, they lost a lot. Uh, they had Ty Ty, and they had um, the big fella, Raji. But, you know, Latrell Jones has really stepped up. Uh, Micah Thomas has played well in spurts, Pierce Spencer. Um, Manny Little, they've got a, a really good quality team that's still trying to figure it out, but uh, that win they got on Saturday I think really helped them. So we've got to have a much better week of prep than we had last week. Um, I thought last week we picked a bad team, ba- bad time to have a bad week of prep, and it cost us a couple games. And so we've got to have a much better prep uh, these few days before we head over to Thibodeau. Got to start getting these wins somewhere. Got to start getting on track once again. Teams have made the adjustments to the small lineup that they've gone with, and they're countering with using big bodies down low to get offensive points. And McNeese doesn't have an answer to that. So now John Aiken's going to have to make another adjustment to those adjustments. Once again, they play Nichols twice this week. And Aiken was very forthcoming during his media session this week. He's not a big fan of having to play the same team back-to-back games in the same week. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I don't love it. It's like playing Northwestern twice in a week. I didn't love that aspect of it. I think um, you you just, you're so familiar with each other, which is great, and it's either way. Like, if you look at the two games that I can quickly point to um, in this league, all right, so Houston Christian loses to New Orleans, and then New Orleans smacks them a week later. Northwestern State smacks Nichols, and then Nichols gets them pretty good at their place. We get Northwestern pretty good here, and then they get us pretty good at their place. And so these quick turnarounds, it's, it's hard for, I think, one, kids to wipe that memory away and really understand the urgency to get back up for a game after you just won um, by a certain amount of points. It's just it's hard to meet the urgency. And the other team has a, a much higher level of urgency when you got those back-to-backs. It's hard to get a sweep in those situations. Um, and then just playing back-to-back, I'd like to see it more spread out. You know, if Nichols is our travel partner or whatever, I'd like to see that more like a open the season and end the season kind of deal. 
Um, but that's not what we're doing, and so we've got to prepare to play uh, a really good team, back-to-back -back, uh, conference champion in the regular season uh, in two, two times in three days. So it will be a great challenge for us. But, yeah, a split would be huge, obviously. Um, that's kind of what we, at minimum, have to have. McNeese will try to get that split and start off the right way tonight as they travel down to home of Thibodeau to take on Nichols. Tip is set for 7 o'clock. Hey, before we have to hit our timeout, I need to tell you about my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite because they offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana. But here's the thing that separates them from everyone else. They appreciate the opportunity, just the opportunity to earn your business. Chris and his team, that's exactly what they do. That's what they did with yours truly and my wife. We were doing our bathroom remodel project, couldn't find the right marble for the renovation, couldn't find the right cut. Couldn't find really good customer service either. But you know what? We found it all. Not only the right marble, the right cut, great customer service, and quickly they got the job done. You can do everything you need with my friends over at LMG. And they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with a new line of grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or go see Chris and his team. Stop by their showroom, recently renovated. It's right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the jockey lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it they will. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Kara Ritchie from 96.9, the ticket up in Arkansas, is going to help us preview UL Arkansas State. That's next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team, after starting conference play 0 2, have bounced back with four straight wins. They're going to try to make it five in a row when they head up to Jonesboro tonight to take on the Arkansas State Red Wolves. But even though the Red Wolves may be on a five-game skid and towards the bottom of the Sunbelt Conference standings at 1-5 and five overall and 9-10 and ten overall on the season, this has always been a tricky game for the Cajuns, especially when they have to travel up to Jonesboro. And to give us some perspective on tonight's matchup is the host – from the ticket in Arkansas. That's right. Kara Ritchie joins us. Kara, it's been too long. How have you been? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. So I look at this team from afar, and they've been on a bit of a skid here of late, <laughs> losing five straight games. What ails the Red Wolves right now? Right now, I think it's it's kind of a, a, a twofold issue. One is this team is struggling with some depth. Um, there's been some injuries. A-State now has three players that are out for the season, so the guard position in particular is just really lacking in depth. Uh, because of that, this has been a team that has kind of changed the tempo, uh, changed the offensive style a little bit from what we've seen from previous Mike Bellotto's teams, and uh, fewer possessions, fewer shot opportunities, and lately – a lot of those shots have not been falling. So this team has done okay defensively this year, but 
offense as of late has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, there's been some close games, some competitive games, but at the end of the day, the, the offense has not, not been able to put enough points on the board, and, and that's been kind of the, the root of the issue so far in conference play. I mean, if you go back to the to the start, you know, they, they were able to scale, uh, score 72 points in the loss against ULM, but since then it's been 45-54, 58-57. They haven't been able to, to cross the 60-point threshold. Do you feel like the team is starting to come together, and are you expecting them to start getting better offensively and start getting back to scoring more than 60 points a game? Well, this is going to be an interesting week for A-State. So to, to ask what I'm expecting from the offense moving forward is, is kind of a, a question I don't have a great answer to because earlier this week uh, in, in his press conference, Mike Bellotto mentioned that you know they might try and change things up and go back to having a faster tempo than they've had so far this season. Now, is that it, it's, it's kind of your dart if you do, your dart if you don't because, again, depth is an issue particularly at the guard play. But um, they're going to go back to, to being a little bit more up-tempo, um, try to, to push the gas just a little bit because, as has obviously been the case, what they have been doing has not been working. So this could be a little bit of a different-looking offense tonight and on Saturday than we've seen for the Red Wolves so far in conference play. So if, if, if they are able to push the tempo and they don't run out of gas, I do expect better things. I do expect to see a, a higher scoring output um, here over these next few games. But will, will it work? Will they be able to hit the gas and not wear down at the end? It's, it's going to be kind of a wait-and-see situation. You know, and what I find interesting, and you can give us a little bit more perspective on this, Kara, is you know, Old Dominion started off pretty well in conference play they took down the raging cajuns and arkansas state beat old dominion at old dominion 60 yes. to 57 uh what do you expect in tonight's matchup between the red wolves and the raging cajuns i expect to see more jordan brown than i want to to be honest with you um <laughs> no that look the cajuns are, are a great team he's a great player um there's some concerns there uh, you know, with, with facing the Cajuns because there's kind of a, a 1A and a 1B that, that is going to be a challenge for, for A-State to be able to defend. Um, the 1A is, is obviously Jordan Brown because he's great, and if you do a poll around the Sun Belt right now, he's probably the leading vote-getter for the, for the player of the year. Uh, but the, the 1B is the Cajuns' ability to, to shoot the three. Um, they're about what the Cajuns are, are top 10 nationally in, in three-point shooting. A-State is, is bottom 10 nationally in three-point defense. Uh, so that's a real concern right now. If if the Cajuns get hot at all from deep, this is this could be a really really long night for Arkansas State, especially because again you go back to the depth. Uh, a State has had some of their good shooters that have been limited a little bit, um, so it's going to be it's going to be hard to play catch up with the Cajuns if A State kind of lets them go out and, and lets Jordan Brown do his thing early, and, and if the Cajuns get hot at all, um, that could be a concerning night tonight for Arkansas State. Kara, obviously the matchup on paper favors the Raging Cajuns, but during this tenure, especially with Bob Marlin at the helm, making that trip up to Jonesboro is always tricky. And for whatever reason, the Red Wolves always play up for the Raging Cajuns. We know there's a rivalry on the gridiron between these two programs. Is there a, a genuine rivalry between these two programs from the Arkansas State perspective for men's basketball? I, I mean, that's think so um the main basketball rival is is little rock because it's it's so close of course you don't have that in football because because little rock does not feel the football team period um but but you know now that little rock has moved out of the sunbelt conference uh to the ovc um 
Cajuns, you know, why not? You know, it's it's a good rivalry in, in other sports, so I guess that's going to be the kind of the next man up rival for, for Arkansas State basketball. I do find it interesting, you know, how this, this series has favored the home team because it seems like for forever that was such a dominant conversation surrounding football, although the last few football matchups, wherever they've been at, have gone to Cajun's way. But I guess it, it almost took me by surprise at how home-heavy this basketball matchup was and, and how well the Red Wolves have played in Jonesboro when these teams have met. So if you're, if you're A-State, you got to hope that, you know, this, this is a trend that continues and that for whatever reason, the Cajuns just quite solved the mystery of, of First National Bank Arena. Kara, appreciate your time. As always, enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much for having me. We'll see you. That's Kara Ritchie from 95 three the ticket up in Jonesboro appreciate her giving us some insight about tonight's Raging Cajuns Red Wolves game up there in Arkansas that's going to do it for hour number two hour number three we'll kick it off with Les East talking Pels talking Saints that's coming up next right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. New Orleans Saints finally make an off-season move. And they do so by parting ways with a longtime assistant coach. But it's not the one that you're thinking of. <laughs> Everyone, Everyone's like, ooh, they got rid of Pete Carmichael. No, they've parted ways with longtime offensive assistant coach Don Roshar. He had been with the team since 2013. He was the second longest tenured coach on staff. He handled tight ends and running backs. So, Saints are beginning to shake up the coaching staff a little bit there. A longtime fixture on the staff is now gone. Does that mean Pete Carmichael is going to be next? Well, we'll ask our next guest that exact question and also where he thinks Sean Payne's going to end up for the 2023 football season. He's the award-winning columnist reporter for CrescentCitySports.com. Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you today, my man? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great. So what do we make of this early morning news coming out of the compound there at Metairie that they've parted ways with their second longest tenured coach on staff? Yeah, it surprises me a little bit because I thought um, Rochar had done a good job since he had been there. He was uh, previously the offensive line coach, and then the last two or three years, he had taken over the um, the tight ends and become running game coordinator, and I, I thought he had done a good job in um, in both of those positions. And uh, you know, there were a few seasons there where he was offensive line coach, and they had a lot of injuries, and they continued to play at a pretty high level, even though they had to use a lot of backups. And uh, I know the running game wasn't great this year, and the tight ends, although Juwan Johnson had a, a, a pretty good season, 
they didn't have a great season either, but uh, overall I thought he had done a good job. So I would not have uh, guessed that he would be the first person to leave from the staff, but uh, here we are. What does this mean, if anything at all, about the status of Pete Carmichael? I don't know that it means anything, but uh, I I do think there's a pretty good chance that that Pete will move on one way or another. He was, uh, you know, reluctant to take the coordinator's job last year. I think he was the last person uh, hired on the staff because he was – had re- looked like he had to be talked into taking the coordinator's position, and uh, the offense was a big disappointment last season. Kind of held the team back. So uh, I would think that you know, given his initial reluctance and the fact that uh, they need to get this offense straightened out for next season, uh, I would think there's a pretty good chance that uh, he's probably not going to be back. Though I'm not sure that the the Rochard development is necessarily uh, something that um, tells us one way or another what's going to happen with Carmichael. Les, I want to switch over to Sean Payton, and I want to get your perspective on things because you're a veteran journalist. You've covered this franchise for a very long time. A lot of Saints fans are a little confused right now, and what they're confused by is, you know, Sean Payton – possibly taking the Houston Texans job or possibly taking the Carolina Panthers job. You know, those are rebuilds. Those are jobs and franchises that are not anywhere near ready to be a Super Bowl contender. I guess the question for a lot of fans is, why is he wanting to go elsewhere when he had a far better situation in New Orleans that he left behind? Well, we need to see what he ultimately does. You know, he he spoke very highly of the Texans the other day on radio, and that that surprised some people. But, you know, my initial reaction was that uh, he was trying to drive the price up for for other teams. Like he's going to talk up everybody and say, yeah, if you don't give me what I'm looking for, whether it be in terms of salary or control uh, or length of contract, whatever it might be, you know, I have these other viable options because he was talking up the Texans like it was the greatest opportunity in the history of the NFL, which it clearly is not. So, <laughs> you know, let, let, let's keep what he has to say while he's in a negotiating position in perspective. So, uh, but, you know, it gets back to his decision last year to step aside. And I, I just don't think he was uh, – I think he sensed that this team was going to take a step back and he didn't necessarily want to be a part of that. I think he had family considerations uh, that, that led him to, to want to move elsewhere. And, uh, and so I think it was a time for him to step away. I don't think he left here last year saying, boy, I really want to be the coach of the Texans or the Panthers. I I think this is a two-step process. And last year, the time was right for him to step away from this situation. When he did, he he knew he would be coming back in the in a year or two to coach somewhere, and he was hoping the right opportunity would come along sooner rather than later. And now we'll see if the right opportunity is out there this year or not. You know, until he signs somewhere, 
uh, I wouldn't get too carried away with uh, expectations of where he's going based on negotiating ploys. You know, for fans, it's also hard to kind of wrap their brain around the fact of seeing Sean Payton coach the Carolina Panthers, a team that was an arch rival and nemesis for his entire tenure as the head coach. But I think people forget that his mentor is Bill Parcells, a man who coached twice that way, coached a division rival two different times, coaching the Jets and the Patriots and coaching, of course, the Giants and the Cowboys. So the man that he's looked up to, a big mentor of his, had no problems with it. Do you think the Saints are going to have a problem with it? And do you think the Saints would actually play ball and trade away the rights to Sean Payton to Carolina? Well, I think that the the, the price in terms of compensation for Payton would, would go up dramatically in Carolina's case because it is a division rival. So I think the Saints would try very hard to, to make it difficult for Carolina to, to pull that off. But nonetheless, it is a possibility. Uh, you know, in Sean's case, I think all he's interested in is finding the right opportunity for him. And that comes down to a stable ownership. It comes down to the, the front office situation. And it comes down to, um, you know, the, the personnel, including quarterback, and whether he thinks he can be successful in the short term and the long term. And wherever that happens to be is wherever it happens to be. I wouldn't think that Carolina would be the most attractive place, but there aren't a lot of great options out there this year, and that's why the possibility of him sitting out another season is still uh, an option uh, until he signs somewhere. I wouldn't rule out him waiting till next year because I don't think he has an ideal situation out there right now. Les, which team do you think is the front runner in your opinion of landing him this offseason if he does go somewhere? Well, I would think of of the three uh, that we've been talking about, I, I think probably Denver is the, the best one of the three, although I'm I'm not sure that that's a great situation. They've sort of mortgaged their future to, to get Russell Wilson, who's probably uh, nearing the end of his career. I'm not sure he's finished, even though he had a, a disappointing season this past season. Uh, so in terms of a young quarterback to develop and having draft choices to rebuild with, uh, I don't think that's exactly what he's looking for. But I think in terms of uh, front office and ownership, and a fairly good roster, uh, I think that's probably the best of the three. But uh, I don't think there's a, a big difference among the three. I think some of them uh, have uh, better prospects going forward. Some have better immediate prospects. But I don't think any of those three uh, is a great situation. But if I had to pick the one that was most likely, I would say Denver. We're talking with Les East of ChristensCitySports.com. He covers the New Orleans Saints. He covers the New Orleans Pelicans. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's shift to the Pelicans. It's hard to win ball games when you're down three starters night in, night out, and I think we're starting to see that with this team because they're being forced to play guys more minutes than they want to, and they're forcing, being forced to put guys in positions that they're not comfortable being in just yet. What's the latest 
on when we can see possibly Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson or Herb Jones back in a Pelicans uniform? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think Herb's probably the closest of the three to coming back. You know, he's been sort of considered day-to-day here uh, since he got hurt about a week ago. Uh, so perhaps we can uh, see him. They're going to they have two road games coming up Friday and Sunday before they're back here next week. Um, so I would think he, he could be back by the next home game, if not sooner. Uh, in Williamson's case, I believe they said he would be reevaluated in three weeks, and that was about two weeks ago. So I think we're looking at. Yeah, you know, being reevaluated doesn't mean he's going to be coming back. And in fact, it, it's unlikely he'll be back at the three week point. So I think we may have an update on him in about seven or eight days. Uh, but I would expect that there's going to be more time after that. So I think we're looking at probably at least a couple of weeks with Zion. I would assume um, Brandon Ingram somewhere between those two. He seems to be getting closer, and yet he has not played since November, which is hard to believe. So uh, I I don't know when he'll be back, but I would think that uh, Jones will get back before him, but he has a chance to get back before Williamson. So, uh, you know, it's not going to happen immediately, but I would hope that uh, Herb Jones would be back here uh, in the next couple of games and then maybe Ingram not long after that, hopefully Williamson before the All-Star break. So, you know, it's just it's, it's a day-to-day thing, but I don't think it's imminent either. Les, appreciate your time and your insight as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing for CrescentCitySports.com, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Raymond. Hey, let's be honest. We tend to have a lot of fun around here at the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta media station. If you are looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, I'm talking retail, telemarketing, auto sales, it does not matter. Anything in between, Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume today to sales director Johnette Cochran at jcochran.com at deltamediacorp.com that's j cochran at deltamediacorp.com or simply call 896-1600 that's 896-1600 we got to take a time out when we return here on rp3 and company man we're going to be talking with jacob henderson from skill masters that's next right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and your home for the lsu tigers and the world series champion houston astros P3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Student athletes, coaches, parents, they're all looking 
to get that edge, to figure out a way to improve their game, their health, their how they prepare, how they present themselves to college recruiters and more. And that's what's happening over at Skill Masters makes it so unique and so important. Of course, Skill Masters is this great new app, which is all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. And, of course, joining us as he does every Thursday here on RP3 and Company is the man with Skill Masters, Jacob Henderson. Jacob, good day to you. Brother, how are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great. It's, uh, it's an exciting week here at Skill Masters, and look forward to talking to you. Well, appreciate you making the time, as always. And when we touched base last week, you know, we've discussed the genesis of the app being created. What are some of the features that folks can find on there, whether they're parents or the student athlete? And, you know, you guys really launched this with soccer in particular in mind, but now you guys are starting to branch out to other sports. And one of those, of course, is a game that I love and hate all at the same time because it's the only game that you can play where you can have three hours of terribleness but you hit one good shot on 18, and you feel like, hey, I should do this every day. That, of course, is golf. What can you tell us, brother? Yeah, appreciate it. So what we are doing now at Skill Masters is we have, you know, this morning we have launched golf in our application. So what it allows you to do now is work with some of the local pros here. Uh, Thomas, who we'll, we'll have here in a second, kind of go over some stuff. CC, uh, you may know them over at Lake Triumph is where, they, where they, their home base is and where they work out of, but We've been working with them for the last six months or so, uh, putting together a good curriculum for golf students of all ages, you know, six and up all the way to, you know, 99 for those old, old you know, people that, that play. Um, and so we, we have a great thing going, um, and we're excited. You know, when, when you come on as, as a player in golf, you know, ultimately what we're going to do is we're going to baseline you, just like we talked about last week in soccer. We're going to understand where your mobility stands. We're going to understand where your strength stands. And then we're going to look at your, your swing you know, from a technical standpoint um, and go through the five phases of, of what we look at when it comes to the swing. So uh, I have Thomas here, and uh, as we go through it, you know, I'll let him introduce some of those concepts. Thomas, welcome to the show, brother. Uh, thank you for making the time. Let's start off with, you know, uh, let's just take me for example. 44 years old, I am terrible at golf, but I love playing it. I download the Skill Masters app. I become a member, and I'm interested in you guys helping me with my golf swing. What are some of the things that I can expect to see now with this golf initiative with the app? Well, one of the things we do here is uh, we try to build on a foundation, and uh, I call it GPA. A lot of people call it different things, but I call it simple. GPA, what's your GPA? Your grip, posture, and alignment. So uh, you'll hear me say this phrase quite often. The golf ball has no opinion. It really doesn't care. You can do whatever you want as long as you do the five human performance factors that are needed at impact. And it doesn't care. It just wants to be hit and going down the, down the, uh, down the road. And uh, with GPA, for instance, if you have a, a poor grip, you have to make a compensation somewhere. Can you make that compensation? Sure. Can you make it consistently? Probably not. So one of the first things we usually attack or look at is grip. And then we're going to look at posture. Golf is, a, uh, is an athletic sport. We want to be athletic in our posture. If you have a poor posture, it's going to reflect somewhere, and you have to make a compensation. And then, uh, of course, alignment. Alignment it could be everything from the club-based position that uh, address to where you feed, shoulders, hips. We're looking for neutrality. We're looking for make you as efficient as possible. And then we're looking to what kind of commitment. 
how long you've been playing golf. If you've been playing golf forever, we're going to make you swing more efficient. If you're new to the game, we're going to try to avoid some of those rabbit holes of bad, uh, bad positions, bad grip, bad posture that create these bad compensations. It's fascinating because you guys are kind of broke it, broke it down to these, you know, three principles here. And so many golfers, even good scratch golfers, sometimes have issue with posture in particular. So it's fascinating that you guys break it down this way. And, you know, let's say I get involved. Uh, I'm interested. You guys do the baseline, you know, of what I can do, how often I can do it and everything like that. What are some of the things? Just give us a little bit of a taste here. What are some of the things that you can help with a golfer golfer with their posture, for example? Oh, we do a lot of, I mean, one of the things that uh, we do is we, researched and studied the best players in the world. The best players in the world are touring professionals. Why do they do what they do? So we're looking instead of differences in tour professional swings, I'm looking for similarities. And, you know, impact, again, is where they're all similar. But uh, if you look on the, the, for instance, the tour, their, their posture is, is there, there's just some buzzwords and keys. It, it, it's, it's very similar to uh, other sports, as I said, and, you know, like, for example, a lot of people don't talk about where the hip sockets are, that it should be right over your ankle bones when you set up. A lot of people, you know, have the image that they need to stick their rear end out a little bit and get further away from the ball. And actually, that's the opposite. Most of the people that we come in and most people we've studied stand too far away from the ball and they stand pushed too far back. And it actually makes you lose posture. We have what we call athletic ego as humans and we don't want to look like fools missing the ball so if you have a bad posture or a bad setup generally if you play the game enough you're going to find a way to hit the golf ball and you're going to have to make a compensation the problem with that is that compensation is going to inevitably lead to breakdown and that's why you play 17 good holes and you play number 18 well and it's just enough to get you to come back tomorrow what if when you go onto the golf course your performance, the way you play, the style of your play, if you will, Thomas, is described as an intoxicated, overweight giraffe. How do you fix that person's game? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> well, you know, with this game, it's a crazy game because uh, I break down, you know, I work with a lot of high-level players, including tour players all the way down to a lot of high-level junior golfers, and I work with a lot of beginners as well, but when I'm training, there's three aspects, and it, this is basically for all sports. There's uh, technical skills, which could be, you know, here in the laboratory working on being better at uh, positions in your swing. Then there's feel. So feel is, you know, just like a kid going out there and having fun and hitting little chip shots and wedges. And then there's what I call playing the game. And that's where the, the real separation and commitment level becomes. So playing the game is actually simulating game time experience. There's no, there's no substitute for actually game time experience and under the pressure. Now you start talking about high level players that are playing in the U S open or something. They have to simulate that, uh, that pressure. Someone like, uh, I'm not sure your level, but somewhere like your level, like you said, describe yourself, you're out there to have fun with the guys or, or your friends and you're, but you don't want to look like a fool. And, you know, you're probably rising each other and everything else. So, you know, we have that athletic ego that kicks in. We don't want to look like a fool. And so you try to make things happen. But it, it, it kind of depends on the commitment level, uh, 
how much you actually want to play. Do you want to play the game for fun? Do you want to play for the game as a college player? Do you want to play the PGA Tour? So we kind of cater it to each level of uh, commitment, talent level, and uh, what your actual goals are. I love it, Thomas. I love it. And I know what you guys are doing is definitely going to make a huge impact in golfers' games, whether they're youngsters that have just picked up the game or maybe have learned it from their dad or their grandfather, or for those of us who just love the game and just love kind of going out there and, and having a great time. Either way, it's going to be able to help all people of all ages and all skill sets. Uh, tell the folks just a little bit more about this and you know and when they go they download the app either you or jacob can talk about this they go download download the app how easy is it to access the golf section of everything on there or through the menu absolutely yep so as we've discussed you know you can download it android ios and the app store uh search skill masters once you you know downloaded the app you open it up sign up and the first question it's going to ask you now is are you wanting to do it from a soccer standpoint or are you wanting to do it from a golf standpoint? So whichever path you're looking to go down, you click that button um, and you'll immediately be in where you can start seeing some of the free content that we have there. And, you know, as you continue to listen to us, give tips as we come on on Thursday, as you continue to look through the drills and you're like, man, this stuff's great and you want to advance, that's when you can sign up to one of our paid uh, versions. Um, and we kind of take it from there and you get a customized workout to, to help you succeed in, you know, whichever path you want to go down. Guys, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. Can't wait to talk to you guys next Thursday. Hope you guys have a tremendous weekend. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. That's Skill Masters, the new app that boosts players in coaches' development and exposure, and they've now launched a new initiative for golf. It's exciting, and it's definitely going to help your game. If you have an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker, Guess what? You can use it to listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. Once again, ask your Alexa or Google Home smart speaker to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Jacksonville Jaguars, they're one of the more surprising teams in the NFL playoffs. They began the year on the struggle bus, but they started to turn things around. And you could tell Doug Peterson's impact not only on quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who went from a guy who looked absolutely lost under Urban Meyer, maybe because Urban was spending too much time in local bars with 25-year-olds, 
And not only with the offense, but with the team in general. You could tell this team started to have the look of one that believed that not only could they compete with the other teams they were on the field with, but that they could beat them. And sure enough, a miraculous comeback last week in the wild card round. And here they are. After winning the division in the regular season finale, they win the wild card game, and now they get to take on the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. And to give us some perspective here on what's going on, the great turnaround that's happening in Jacksonville is the man who's part of the Locked on Jaguars podcast, part of the Locked on Network. Tony Wiggins joins us now. Tony, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for making the time. How are you? Man, I'm doing wonderful. You know, blessed to be a part of the grateful eight, as I call it. That's the eight teams left to try to get a Super Bowl. So, you know, you can't take these days for granted. You know, you, you know, you think you're going to get there back and forth. The Jaguars have been in this situation three other times, and each time they didn't make the playoffs the next year. So, uh, just just grateful and, and hopeful that this is a different future for this franchise. Tony, obviously, he has made a huge difference with the offense. Talking about Doug Peterson and the development of Trevor Lawrence. What's the big thing that stands out to you? Maybe a small detail that a lot of people don't necessarily see that don't follow the Jaguars that's helped allow Trevor to take his game to that next level. I think what they did is they insulated him a little bit and and just made him become a quarterback. Last year, you know, because it was the first year he was a prince that was promised, the so-called savior of the franchise, Trevor had a lot on his back and he was on every billboard, and um, you know it was, you know it was like get Trevor and just move out of the way. Whereas I always thought when you get a guy like this, what you need to do is I liken to the, uh, to winning a lottery. I said you can win a lottery and 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 buy fancy shirts and fancy cars and be broke in two years, or you can win a lottery and hire a financial advisor and a lawyer and really shelter your money and act like you don't have the extra coin. So I, I think last year. They hit the lottery and decided it was all about Trevor, 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 Urban and Trevor, and they forgot that this is about football. This is about doing basic stuff, fundamentals. This is about your quarterback ingratiating himself with his teammates more than he ingratiates himself with season ticket holders. So I think Doug Peterson came in and hired Mike McCoy. Then he brought in Press Taylor, and they sort of insulated him and stopped making him be the press secretary for a bunch of bad choices. And just let him be the quarterback. Let him be the 21, 22-year-old kid that needs to go out and put the work in that's required to to be good in this league for a sustained period. It became a bit of a viral thing on social media, but Tony, as a native Southerner and a man who loves the place that has the yellow lights and the black trim, the Waffle House, seeing him celebrate – the playoff win by going with some friends to Waffle House afterwards. I love that, man. I just I just do. It just is he could have went to some other big time place, right, and have security detail and the whole nine yards. And and here's this guy, you know, just hanging out with his friends at the Waffle House after winning a playoff game. I love that, man. I just do. I love it too. And and this is what is what we do down in these parts. Normally, okay, the Waffle House is where you go when you leave the club, right? When you leave uh, whatever spot that you went to. That particular Waffle House, so let me tell you, that particular Waffle House is about a half a mile from a really, really affluent neighborhood. So 
we we get it. We we sometimes look at it on TV and say Trevor went down in a hole in the wall and found a Waffle House. No, he found a Waffle House in Jacksonville Beach. So, but still, <laughs> it, it's still something that speaks to him being a part of this community because last year when the Jaguars got the number one pick, there was a lot of mainstream media, mainly the New York media, who had the number two pick where they took that kid that can't get right up there. And the thing is, is it was, they were saying Trevor Lawrence ought to be angry. He's going to lose endorsement money. He, who wants to go to Jacksonville? And that made Jacksonville Twitter inundate social media with all of these beautiful pictures of our coastline and our beach. So Trevor does the most Jacksonville thing when they win a game on the biggest stage. He goes to the Waffle House, and that was an almost unintended shot at all of those snobby media people that thought he wouldn't enjoy little old Jacksonville. I loved it. You know, the other thing that stands out to me about this season, about this Jaguars team, is a young man we know very well in our parts, and because he played high school football at Jennings High School, and that's the young man that's the starting running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Mr. Etienne. He didn't get to play last year because he got injured in the preseason, missed all of his rookie season. I don't think enough people are talking about his impact on this offense and his impact on this team, are they? They aren't, and it took a while to come around because James Robinson was beloved by uh, the Jaguar fan base. James Robinson came in, and they traded Leonard Fournette, and as an undrafted rookie, uh, was one of the five, you know, had one of the five best seasons for a running back in the NFL. And I likened it to a situation uh, in your part where the New Orleans fans loved Mark Ingram, but then they got Alvin Kamara. And those those two, this is a very good analogy because Mark Ingram was just a guy who knew how to get yards, wasn't dynamic. Here comes Alvin Kamara, who's super dynamic. And I think last year, what the plan, the plan was to have them as an Ingram-Kamara sort of uh, duo. Well, they had to make a decision. Both of them got hurt. Uh, ETN had a Liz Frank injury. Robinson actually had an Achilles at the end of last year. So when they came into camp this year, because ETN's injury had happened earlier, ETN had a leg up on him. And what was evident was one guy was the little engine that could, that overachieved, and the other guy was supremely talented. And sometimes fans don't see that, but the eye in the sky does. That little seven-yard run should have been 15, or with the other guy playing, it would be more dynamic and it would open our offense more, and it would actually scare the defense coordinator for the other team. Sort of the way Alvin Kamara does that, Mark Ingram didn't. It's the same situation here. And now it's manifested itself, and the fans are like, okay, you were right. Because there are a lot of things, like I said, that fans don't see, even media people don't see, that these coaches, you have to trust them. They make decisions based on not the little success of that four-yard gain, but that four-yard gain that if we had a guy who was a little bit faster, could have been a 25-yard gain. We spend so much time talking about Trevor and talking about uh, Travis. Give me a guy on the offensive side of the football that we don't talk about enough and could be a huge X factor in this weekend's game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, there's two of those guys. The thing is, is most of the time they don't play uh, well the same week. Last week they did, and that would be Evan Ingram and Zay Jones. If, if we look back at the last eight weeks, Zay Jones would have a great game and you wouldn't hear from Evan Ingram, and then the next week Zay Jones would have the drops, and then Evan Ingram – would have a really good game. The other day, they both had a good game at the same time, and they couldn't have come at a better time for Jacksonville. Um, 
some people that you don't watch, center Luke Fortner has played every single snap for this team this year. And that, that's been huge because one way to pressure a quarterback, as you, 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 you all know, is to get him up the middle. And we don't want the uninvited having to go to one side of the field uh, for a young quarterback because then teams could play coverage. So I gave you a couple of skill position guys, but I'll turn around and give you now an offensive lineman, a guy that you don't watch, you don't watch every play. But I tell you what, if Trevor Lawrence gets knocked off the square and has to run, and, and Chris Jones would have a lot to do with that, that's when you notice uh, Luke Fortner. And we don't want it. We don't want that to happen. We want you to not notice him. So if you don't notice Chris Jones, it's probably because Luke Fortner's playing well. Tony, do the Jaguars have enough dogs on that side of the football, the defensive side of the football? to maybe not stop Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey, and the guys, but at least slow them down enough to give their offense a chance? If Tyreek Hill was still there, I would say no, but I'll say yes now. And um, I, I would say yes even if I felt no, because one thing I've learned about this team this year is whatever conventional wisdom or whatever uh, football 101 tells you in the manual, they've broken it. Yeah, they're not supposed to throw four touchdowns in the first half and then commit another fumble in the first five turnovers in the first half and then not get any turnovers in the second. They're not supposed to win that game. They're not supposed to come back from 27 nothing. They're not supposed to do it. So whatever rules that we have, and I've, I've had a lot of rules and keys to victory for this team all year, we got to throw that stuff out of the window, man, because they're so youthful. Nobody knows what to expect from them. They're just really, really unpredictable. And there's no way to really say what they are supposed to be able to do and what they're not supposed to be able to do because they defy all of those rules that we set up for them in the first place. So that leads me to my final question. Do you like him to pull off the upset and take down the Kansas City Chiefs and move on to the AFC Championship game? I do, and I'm a bit superstitious. They've been in this position to make these runs. They did it in 97, 99. Of course, 99 is a little different because they – had the best record in the league at 14-2 and two when they entered the playoffs. But in 2017, they did the same thing. They won a game they wasn't supposed to win at Pitt- the win at Pittsburgh. And, and they were down early in that game, and, 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 and they ended up winning it. And then they went to New England and had a, a pretty big lead in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes to go. They were up by 12 points against the Patriots. Every single time they've been in this situation, they made it to the AFC Championship game. They've been to three in 27 years, and people don't realize that. So I anticipate that they'll hold true to that. They'll pull it upset, and then we'll have to talk next week of whether I think they're going to get beyond it. But I think they have an absolute – I think they have a chance because nobody's giving them a chance, and they don't care that no one's giving them a chance. And I really do think they're going to pull it off the way the Bengals did last year. Tony, appreciate your time, man. Keep up the great work you're doing there with the Locked on Jaguars podcast. And hopefully we'll be able to talk to you soon, bud. All right, man. Shout out to all y'all, too, down in uh, in that area. We really, really appreciate you. And thank you for having me. It's Tony Wiggins from the Locked on Jaguars podcast joining us here talking NFL Divisional Round Playoffs. Jags at Chiefs. Hey, just a reminder, tune in tonight as the undefeated LSU women's basketball team takes on Arkansas at the PMAC in SEC action. Pre-game is going to begin at 730 Tip is set for 8 o'clock, and you can listen to all the exciting action right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. we got to take a timeout. 
We'll wrap up today's show, finalize that poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. <laughs> I want to take a moment to thank our guest for joining us on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company, Kara Ritchie from The Ticket up in Jonesboro, Arkansas, less east of ChristmasCitySports.com, Jacob Henderson from Skill Masters, and of course, Tony Wiggins from the Locked On Jaguars podcast. We did have a poll question of the day to get to as well. We asked you about the Pelicans, who are right now the Pelicans. Let's just be honest. That's what they are. Are you concerned with the Pelicans' current struggles? Once again, no B.I., no Zion, no Herb Jones. Though the starting five have only played in less than 10 games together. And we don't know when B.I.'s coming back. We don't know when Zion's coming back. Are you concerned with the team's current struggles? 57% of of you say yes, you are, and that we need B.I. and Zion back. 23% say, not worried, it's a long season. 11% say, no, they'll turn it around. And 9% of you say, let's make a trade. Thank you for all who commented. Thank you for all who voted on our poll question of the day. We appreciate you. And that's going to do it for today's edition of RP3 and Company. We're going to be back on tomorrow. And tomorrow, you know what? We're going to try to be better than we were today. We're going to try to end the week the right way, get you geared up for the NFL Divisional Playoff weekend. We'll react to the action that happened on the college hardwood tonight. We'll recap that for you tomorrow and so much more. That's all going to be on tap for tomorrow. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.